I'm excited this morning. Do you know why I'm excited? Because the crows are playing today, that's possibly why I'm excited. Uh, because the Mount Lofty under-16s won yesterday, I'm excited for that. But uh, now the reason I'm excited this morning is because we're starting a new series and I'm genuinely excited to be launching into a new teaching series uh, as a church. And uh, you may have seen in the, uh, the weekly update or, or online uh, what we're studying for our next uh, series. But in case you didn't, I'm going to put, put a little pop quiz out there, um, some quick facts about the person that we are going to be studying over the next nine weeks. This person, uh, 66 chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to sharing the life story of this person. That's more than anyone else in the whole Bible. This person's name is referenced, let me get this right, 974 times in the Bible. More than any person in the entire Bible, with the exception of Jesus. Um, This person was a shepherd, a poet, a warrior who led armies into battle. He was a king. He was a worshipper. He was a a good friend. He was a leader. He was a giant slayer. He was a musician. He was also a liar. He was also a murderer. He was also an adulterer. Quite a life. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about King David. King David is, uh, is considered uh, Israel's greatest earthly king. And he's remembered with, with great fondness and honoured. You go to Jerusalem and there's, uh, there's uh, the oldest part of Jerusalem. It's known as the city of David. And the, the greatest hotel today in Jerusalem is the King David Hotel. He's kind of honoured and remembered despite the fact that he was actually also a very flawed man who did some terrible things. Uh, but David also went on to write 73 psalms in the Bible. And so the psalms are the most read book of the Bible. I'm not sure if you know that, uh, but they track that with all the Bible apps these days. The psalms are the most read book of the Bible. And so actually often when we read psalms, without realising it, we're reading David's writings. And um, he lived this incredible life. And so this morning we're going to start with the very start of his journey and find out where it all starts. Um, It says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, Oh, it starts with the genealogy of, of, uh, of humanity, really, tracking the line that leads to Jesus. And at the end of that, in verse 17, it says that there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, and then 14 generations from David to the exile, when the Israelites were booted out of Israel, and then 14 generations after that to Jesus. So David's life along with Abraham's and the exile become these markers that lead to a key part of def- uh, confirming Jesus as Messiah. And uh, I'm not sure what you know about the life of David. Most people know David and Goliath, right? We know that kind of story. But do we know about the complexity of David's life and who he really was? So this morning I want to get us started on that as I talk about the topic of calling. There's actually two things I I really love about David's life, not that I love about his life, that I find that I love about studying David. The first is that David had this description made about him that said that he was a man after God's own heart. 
A man after God's own heart. You think about that. What, that. what that is to be a man or a woman after God's heart. Like the way that you live is actually kind of in tune with the very heart of God. That's a pretty cool thing. That could be said of you, that you are a person after God's own heart. But the other part of David's story that I don't love, but I, I, I think is, is, makes it worth hearing, is that he's not presented as this perfect character. We see all his flaws on display. And it's really interesting that the Bible is, in, in many ways, it's the history. It's a history of Israel and its kings and stuff. But it's not just, um, we don't just get this kind of sugar-coated, perfect view of this amazing leader. We actually get to see all his flaws. And I'm really thankful that the Bible tells the true story of people, and not just the uh, good side of people, but also their struggles and failures as well. Because there's this much we can learn in people's failures or through it as through their successes. So let's open up to um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and uh, we'll just read where David's story starts. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be, to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. <clears throat> Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shimar pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one? Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So then he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? It's kind of a crazy story. I was like, What? And he says, Oh, um, oh yeah, they're still the youngest. Sort of forgot about him. He is uh, out tending the sheep. Samuel said, Well, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So this morning I want to talk about this idea of calling. 
This is the start of David's story. And it's in this anointing that his calling comes. And the, the calling into this role and the anointing that, that comes with it sets the story for David. From here on in, his life is forever changed. It doesn't change straight away. He goes straight back out to the fields and continues being a shepherd for the time being. But from this moment, he's got a calling and an anointing on his life. One of the things people ask me often when they find out that I'm a pastor is they say, how did you become a pastor? Or why did you choose to become a pastor? And there's really only one word that captures the answer to that question. And that is calling. That I felt called by God to that role. And so they'll ask me the story and the story for me is this. That when I was about maybe about 12 years old, maybe slightly younger, I'm not exactly sure. Back then, my old church that I grew up in was a, an old church and, and it had choir stalls at the front. And then right in the middle, it had these steps up to a high, big wooden pulpit, you know, very old school. And um, I remember once after the service, when everyone had gone out to the hall, coming back into the church with no one in there and climbing the steps and standing up at the pulpit and thinking to myself, this is what I'm going to have to do one day because God is calling me to be a minister. Now, I was actually quite normal as an 11-year-old. <laughs> so apart from that slightly bizarre behaviour, I was generally normal. And um, so because so, like what 11-year-old thinks that? And this, this conviction stayed with me always right through my teenage years when I wasn't a perfect, you know, I wasn't just constantly standing in pulpits thinking I'm going to start preaching anytime. Um, but through the ups and downs of teenage years, it stayed with me. I had this, not just a sense of maybe one day I will be a pastor, but practically a rev revelation that this was God's call on my life. And that calling has been incredibly important um, but the thing is this a story like that can actually be um, kind of problematic because sometimes we think about calling we think about uh, stories of people who say well I was called to the mission field and they go off to the mission field to serve God full-time in, in missionary work or I was called to pastoral ministry and we can sometimes kind of think about these examples of these are the people that get called like a calling equals mission field or pastoral ministry or something really big but I want to suggest to you this morning that everyone has been called everyone has been called and I'll explain that in just a second but everyone not only has been called, but everyone, if they listen to the Lord and are seeking to hear his voice, will hear that God will call them into things. Sometimes it will be lifelong. Sometimes it will be for a season. And sometimes it will just be for a moment in the way that God guides us and calls us to act in a certain way in a certain moment. Let's talk about how everyone's been called. In 1 Corinthians it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were Called. Can everyone say called? I think, can we bring that scripture up? Called. Very good. <laughs> Not many of you were wise by human standards. So it's just like you guys. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Is anyone of noble birth here? No. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So, if you missed it, this is the calling. Um, oh no, this is the fact that you are called. Sorry, getting ahead of myself. And um, in Romans 1, Paul says this, And you are also among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And, um, and it also says in Romans 8, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. So three scriptures there, and there's many more, saying you have been called. What have you been called to? Well, in a general sense, you've been called to three things. In Galatians 1, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly desert, deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of God. This is part of your calling. This is an awesome thing. You have been called to live in the grace of God. He also goes on to say, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And thirdly, in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So here's three things. Every single Christian has been called to live in the grace of God, to live in the freedom that you have through Christ, and to know the hope of eternal life. That is a great calling, right? That is an awesome calling. But in, in addition to the general calling, we have a specific calling. The Apostle Paul described himself this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, right? So he saw himself as having this specific calling to be an apostle. And then there was a situational calling. There was one time when Paul, it says, during the night Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul. He's got this general calling that he speaks of that he's called to live in the grace of God, to live in freedom and to know the eternal hope that we have through Christ. He then has this kind of lifelong sense of calling to a role as an apostle. But then he has a very specific sense that in a moment, one night he has a vision and in that vision, he hears a call to go and do something. So there's kind of all these different levels of calling. Sometimes a lifelong calling, sometimes a seasonal calling, sometimes a specific calling and over that the general calling that we all have in our life so let's get into this passage and let's look at david's calling a little bit of background on this passage because we've jumped straight into a bit of the bible and we're talking about samuel and we're talking about kings what's the context of this well firstly this guy samuel is a prophet and Samuel at the time is a prophet who is also effectively the leader of Israel. He's called a judge, but that's not a judge as we imagine it. He's actually a key leader for the nation of Israel. And, um, but Samuel's getting old, and so Samuel has appointed some of his children to be acting as leaders for Israel. But basically, they're really bad. They're really just corrupt and so the people of Israel come to Samuel and say, we want a king. We, we want to be like the other nations around us. We want a king. And uh, so to cut the long story short, 
so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And they appoint this guy called Saul as king. But sadly, Saul uh, has a very flawed character. And God rejects Saul as king in chapter 15 of uh, 1 Samuel. So then chapter 16 comes along and God instructs Samuel to go and anoint a new king. Now the interesting part here is that Saul is still the king and continues as the king. But God, while he's still king, sends Samuel to anoint David. And so he says to him, you know, stop mourning over, over Saul, uh, Samuel's grieve that Saul has been rejected. He says it's time to anoint a new king. And he sends him to Bethlehem. Okay? It's not a coincidence that he sent to Bethlehem because the reason that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem was because they were from the line of David. And it's interesting also that when David is, is called inside, he's out in the fields of Bethlehem, outside Bethlehem being a shepherd. And when Jesus is born... The first people that find out about this, who the angels go to, are shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. So there's all these kind of links between Old Testament and New Testament. Um, so Samuel fills his horn with oil. What's that about? Well, oil is, a, is for anointing of kings and anointing of prophets and anointing of priests. A priest would be anointed with oil, as would a king, as would be a prophet. In fact, still today, kings are anointed with oil. Queen Elizabeth II, who's obviously been in the news with the passing of Prince Philip um, in the last couple of days, when she was, had her coronation, this event, if anyone saw The Crown, you'll know this, it was the first major worldwide television event. And they filmed the whole coronation and the whole world watched the coronation ceremony. All of it was filmed live and beamed around the world, except for one moment in that ceremony. And there was a part of it they didn't film because it was considered too sacred to film. And in that part of the ceremony, the, the queen, as she was being commissioned as the queen or, or coronated as queen, she took off her, her kingly robe and the jewellery around her neck was taken off and she went off to the side and she sat down at a simple chair and the archbishop came with oil and anointed above her heart and on her wrists and on her forehead. And she was anointed with oil. And there was a statement made. As kings and prophets and priests are anointed, you are now anointed into this role. Very interesting. So David is anointed as a king. And it's really interesting when we talk about calling and our lives being called is that just as David was anointed and then called so we too get anointed as believers when we get called and our anointing is not that someone comes and places oil on us but it's actually the Holy Spirit that's a New Testament link here in Acts 2 it says in the last days God says I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So there's this kind of idea of just as David is anointed and then called into ministry, the role that God's got for him, we too are anointed by the spirit and we get called into the ministry that God has got for us. So David's told to go to, to Bethlehem. 
He's scared to. He says, how can I go? If Saul hears me, he will kill me. Now, um, here's about it. He'll kill me. Now, going and anointing another king while there's still a king in charge is a dangerous game. Okay? So they've got this little plan that he goes there sort of secretly. Uh, when Samuel gets there, the people themselves are scared and they're fearful. Okay? And this uh, commentator says, actually reflective of the state that Israel was in under Saul's reign and leadership, that it was a time of fear and uncertainty and reflected Saul's, Saul's leadership. So he goes along and, of course, then we get this crazy scenario where Samuel uh, firstly sees the eldest son and uh, he's like, this is the guy, you know. He's tall and he's big and he looks like a king. And it's the same with Saul. When Saul was appointed king... He was appointed partly because of his physical appearance, right? He was big, he was strong, he looked like a leader, right? Just kind of like, you know, just kind of like me, you know? Um, <laughs> no, he was, he was like the big center half forward, right? He's six foot four, strong, he was a head taller than everyone. He was a big guy. People say, yeah, that guy, he's the king. And again, that's with Saul. And now when Samuel rocks up again, he thinks... Here's, here's uh, Eliab, he must be the guy because he's big and strong and he looks like the sort of guy that could lead people into battle. God says, no, no, it's not him. And so they get this strange situation where one, one son after the other gets brought in to parade before Samuel. And I kind of had this idea of it being like, um, I was picturing it like, you know, the male models on the catwalk parading before Samuel and they're sort of strutting their stuff. And anyway, um, I won't go into the, uh, the pose. Um, he said, no, it's not, it's not the next son. No, it's not the next son. It's not the next. And they all go one after the other. And they get to the end and it's like, Samuel, uh, well, Jesse's like, oh, I don't know what to do now. He's like, well, have you got any other sons? It's like, oh, oh I forgot. Yeah, there's just the young one. He's sort of out in the fields being a shepherd. And um, it's interesting that the, the Hebrew word for youngest here is also the same word that could be used for, for smallest, also the same word that could be used for least important. So, oh yeah, the least important. He's out in the fields and he's doing the job of the shepherd, which is the, the job that the least important person gets. And I just want to say there's something about what God does over and over again is that he takes least important people and says you are valuable and you are useful and you can be used mightily for God. That's just over and over again. Jesus goes to some, some uh, fishermen who are, who are just like working class, untrained, unschooled people catching fish. He doesn't go to the priests. He doesn't go to the Pharisees. He doesn't go to the rich people in Jerusalem. He goes off to some fishermen in Galilee. He says, hey, you're the guys who are going to turn the world upside down as my disciples. That's how, that's how Jesus works. That's how God works. And so... so uh, um, God speaks to Samuel and makes this really important comment. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that is so true. Man, so easily, we're going to be really alert to the fact that men and women, humans, we are drawn to outward appearance so readily. And we judge based on outward appearance and we get impressed by shiny people. We get impressed by shiny things, but God's encouraging us to look a little deeper and look to the heart i was watching a youtube of one of my favorite bands u2 considered one of the biggest and and most successful bands in the world and they played uh, in disguise 
in the New York subway. On a New York subway platform, they started playing. And there's, you know, there's the Edge playing guitar and there's, there's Bono and he's singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, and everyone's just walking straight past. And there's two people listening and they're playing away. And then after the first song, they take off their disguises and then they play another song. What happens next? Hundreds of people start gathering around and they're taking photos and video and they're absolutely amazed because the outward appearance has changed. But nothing else actually changed. It was the same band playing their music. And now everyone thinks it's the greatest moment that, that, that they could see this live. Man is drawn to that outward appearance. We're going to be very careful to remember that God is calling us deeper. He wants us to not judge people based on outward appearance. He wants us not to be impressed necessarily by shiny things and, 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 and chasing after things that are actually about outward. And he wants us to be careful not to be people who are worried about how we project ourselves externally, but he's actually more, what's more important is what's happening in your heart. Okay. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so David comes in and he says, No, this is the man, this is the young man, this is the boy who I am calling and anointing to be the next king of Israel. This kid who's living in this little village outside of Jerusalem, this village called Bethlehem, which is insignificant, and he's part of an insignificant family, and he's the most insignificant person in that family. And God says, no, no. I've got a calling on your life. And I want to just say this morning that I really believe that God has got a calling on the lives of every Christian. You see, why? before we look at how God calls people, the ultimate question is, why do you do anything? Or why do you do the things that you do in your life? Like the, the, the important things. Your career, or how you might serve in the church, or the, the significant things you give your time to. What are the reasons that you would choose to do anything of importance? Well, you might do it because you feel pressured to do it. That's a pretty bad reason. You might do it because you sort of fell into doing it. You know, it just kind of happened. That's a pretty poor reason. You might do it because there's a need and you're just feeling a need. That's a slightly better reason. You might do something because you've got skills or an interest in that area. Okay? You might serve and say, well, I, I, I love... I love helping people out and, uh, and I love sports, so I'll, I'll, be, you know, I'll help out with junior sport. That's, that's a good reason. You've got an interest. You might say, well, I've also got something I can contribute in that area where I've got a skill set. You might see that there's a cause worth giving to. We've got people here who volunteer and risk their lives as CFS volunteers. They might say, there's a cause worth giving my time and attention to. That's a good reason to give. But there's actually the ultimate reason for you to do something. That is that you've got a calling, a sense of God's calling for you to do that. And when you've got a sense of calling, it's really powerful because it will actually sustain you through the hard times. You see, when you've got a calling, uh, it's kind of like it, it gives you a confidence firstly to step out. Because if you don't have a calling, you're like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. But if you've got a calling, then it's actually based not on your skills or abilities, but on the calling itself. So when I went into ministry, I didn't weigh it up and said, yeah, I think I've got a pretty good leadership gifting and I think I'm a pretty good public speaker and I think I can, you know, counsel people pretty well, so I'll go into ministry. No, the only thing I thought to myself is, I am called into this role, so I will do it. And it gave me a confidence to go into it. 
Indeed, I know people who go into ministry and they feel like I'm not a good public speaker and I'm not this and I'm not that. But I've got the call, so it gives them a confidence to take that step. The second reason why calling is really important and powerful is that um, it sustains you in the hard times. And let me tell you, as a pastor, there have been plenty of times when I have felt if I, could, if I could get out of this and go and retrain in something else, I'd happily do that. Okay? Because ministry is a great privilege and a great blessing. And to be honest, it's also really hard work at times. And it's pretty taxing. Why have I not left ministry? Primary reason, sole reason really, is because I feel God's call is there. And God has not taken away that call that he placed on my life all those years ago. So calling is powerful. It focuses your service. It gives you confidence to step forward and it sustains you through the hard times. Where does calling connect with your life? Where does calling connect with you? It's probable that you're in one of a couple of places. It's possible that perhaps you've never ever considered that you might be called to something by God. Maybe you've had that view of, well, missionaries are called or, or, or prophets are called long ago or, 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 or pastors are called. But have you ever thought about what your calling is? Second thing is possible is that you have forgotten your calling. You see, sometimes people go into something with a real sense of calling. Like they might become a school teacher, not just because they think, well, you know, here's the salary conditions and here's the, here's the, the, the holidays or something like that. But they went into it because they had this great heart to make a difference in the lives of young people. But then as time goes by, they encounter the frustrations. They encounter the difficult things. They encounter that, that the, the, the goal of making a difference in kids' lives is actually a lot harder than what, what they imagined. And there's all these kind of stuff that seems to be a barrier and a limitation than to actually doing what. And it actually can become just something that it's like, okay, it's Monday, I've got to rock up, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and it becomes a task. And they lose the sense of it being a calling on their lives. And that can be the same for pastors, it can be the same for teachers, it can be the same for basically any career. It's very powerful to know your calling. And a calling doesn't have to be something like that. Eric Little, who was a famous um, athlete, in fact, he's the guy who they made the movie Chariots of Fire about. He ran in the 1924 Paris Olympics and won a gold medal. He was a 100-metre sprinter. And if you know the story of Chariots of Fire, they scheduled the heats on a Sunday. And because he was a devout Christian and, and believed at that time that observing the Sabbath on a Sunday was the right thing to do, he said, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. And so he went in the 400 metres instead of the 100 metres because he f refused to go in the heats because they were on a Sunday. And he won the gold medal in the 400, which is a pretty fair effort. But he said this, he said, I believe God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. I believe God made me for a purpose and he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you know how powerful it would be if everyone in our church, whether it's their serving in their church or their career or their role as a parent or a husband or a wife or wherever you serve or give your time, that the things you do and commit yourself to, you have a sense that this is God's calling to me. Not... Um, 
I'm on the roster again for band, so I'm going to go and play the guitar or sing. But actually, I believe that God has made me for a purpose. And he's also made me pretty good at the guitar. And when I play the guitar, I feel his purpose. Well, God has given me the gifts of administration. And so when I actually work and serve in those areas, he's actually made me good at those things. And when I do those things, I feel his pleasure. Because whatever you do, if you are doing it serving the Lord and sensing his calling, it is a game changer on how you go about it and how you might use it for the glory of God. So let me say this. Do you need to learn afresh to listen to God's call, to God's voice that you might hear his call? Do you need to seek God's call for your future? Or do you need to be reminded of God's call in the past that maybe you have forgotten every single person young or old or new to christ or following christ for decades everyone has been given gifts everyone has a unique heart and things that you're passionate about everyone has unique abilities everyone has a unique personality everyone's been through unique experiences and what god's greatest desire is that everyone out of all of those things would say yes I am going to serve and I'm going to hear God's call and I'm going to live out my faith in the church, outside of it, at home, in the workplace, everywhere. What a world we would have if the Christians of Australia, if the Christians of the hills, if the Christians of this church rose up and actually felt a conviction that I feel called by God to things and I'm going to step into that and I'm going to serve according to the way God has shaped me and called me what power there would be for God to do amazing things through us, if that were the case. So may you hear his voice. May you step into your calling that you might be all that God has planned for you to be and may you be, play your part in God's mission to bring healing and hope and reconciliation and peace to our broken and hurting world. Amen. Let me pray as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you have made every person who's part of this church, every person who's here today, unique. And actually every person here has skills and abilities and gifting that is different from the person next to them. And actually everyone's got something that they can offer to your service. And just as I pray this, I'm actually reminded of of a woman who was praying one day in the temple. Um, she came into the temple to pray and she came in the temple to give her offering. And there was a guy there who, who had a lot to give financially. But there was a woman who only had two cents to her name, two small coins. And she came in and she gave those coins into the offering. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Who's given more here? And the answer was this woman because she gave what she had to give to the Lord. And Lord, how great it is when we can say, this is what I've got and we can offer it into your service and allow you to take it and use it. So Lord, I want to pray that you would speak, that your voice would be heard by the people of this church, that you would call people into new things and that you would refresh old things and remind people of the calling you've given 
that you would revitalize the calling you've placed on people's lives and that you would anoint us by your spirit and equip us for the service that you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.